0: Please remain standing and pray with me. Almighty God, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we thank you, Lord, that when we are called in remembrance of our sins, we are reminded that your mercy is more. Lord, thank you. Thank you that no matter what we have done, your mercy is more. So, Lord, I pray that this morning as we open the scriptures, in a difficult and challenging word that would not be received as a word of condemnation but an invitation to grace. For those who have received your abundant mercy, Lord, remind them of the treasure of forgiveness that you have given them and do not let them fall under condemnation again. And for those who feel their hearts cut to the quick, Lord, we pray that they would run swiftly to Jesus Christ and from you, Lord Jesus our Redeemer, find eternal life and forgiveness and mercy, mercy that is more. Lord, now anoint the preaching and the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, this entire passage that we heard read this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 20, is a strange and challenging word to people living in the secular western countries of the 21st century. But if we want to get right to the weirdest, most offensive core truth that that frames all of Paul's argument, it's right here at the end of the passage. And if you're following along, it's it's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. This is what we're going to focus on this morning. Paul writes... Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are not your own. That that comprises the great scandal for all of us this morning, just those words, you are not your own. We've all been catechized. We've all been deeply taught and instructed, even in ways we are not aware, by our culture to believe a lie. And here's the lie that we believe, that we belong to ourselves and that belonging to ourselves is the abso- absolute bedlock, bedrock of building a life of freedom and fulfillment. That We think we belong to ourselves. And by belonging to ourselves, that is the foundation for building a life of freedom and fulfillment. It is the assumption that that assumption that we belong to ourselves drives everything in our culture from education to entertainment to public policy. And because we have so deeply imbibed of it, that's why we tend to get a little choked up. When we think about that poem that some of us were made to memorize in high school, you know, the one Invictus, Invictus by William Ernest Henley. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. So it kind of gets me a little misty. (laughs) We are the masters of our fate. We are the captains of our soul. We belong to ourselves. That is the unquestioned axiom that is deep within most of us. Everything around us, everything around us reinforces that. I mean, that's what America is all about, right? Belong to me. You're not, as I've said, the real motto of the United States of America is you're not the boss of me. <laughs> Here's the way that we have been taught to think about the world. That there is this is this is important. It's kind of wordy, but you need to, you need to hear this and, and kind of soak it in a little bit because it's very important and it really is what we've been taught. We are taught that there is no external, okay, no external transcendent purpose to the universe there is no external order or meaning there's no external order or meaning you might think that trees and mountain mountains and stars and oceans are real pretty but that is just your subjective emotional state when you see them externally they don't mean anything in themselves We exist in one giant cosmic accident, and thus the world doesn't mean anything. And that is exactly what Richard Dawkins wrote so long ago in Scientific Scientific American. He wrote, the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Amen. Praise the Lord. No, I don't think so. Now, we think we don't really believe that. We think we don't believe that. I mean, we're sitting here in church. We don't believe that. But really, this is probably the assumption that you and I are living with, even right now, even as Christians. And here is how you can diagnose, how you can tell if you do. All right, ready? Most of us believe that in order to find meaning and purpose, we have to look where? Deep inside ourselves. I'm going to find meaning and purpose. I'm going to have to look deep inside myself. We do a deep heart, in, uh, or excuse me, a deep dive into our heart of hearts to find our true selves. That's where I'm going to find the real me and my real identity. And then, after we've gone on that exploration inside, we create our own meaning and purpose based on what we find there. And and then, in order to be authentic, are you listening? In order for us to be authentic and real, it becomes our moral duty, our heroic endeavor to express our true selves no matter what any person, or any institution or society itself says. If I don't do that, then I don't really have an authentic existence. In other words, we are all essentially Queen Elsa from frozen, frozen belting out, let it go. The wind is howling like the this, this swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in, heaven knows I've tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. Well, now they know. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Come on, sing it. Let it go. Your four-year-old daughters can sing it. Let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on the cold Never bothered me anyway. And then listen to this. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small. And the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. Listen. No right. No wrong. No rules for me. I'm free. I looked within and I found my true self. And now I'm free free. And the world says, can I get an amen? That's what I'm talking about. We belong to ourselves. We create our identity, our own meaning, and we dare the world to say anything about it. That's what it means to be an authentic person. But but the story of scripture, the Bible sees the world and our place in it in a diametrically 180 degrees opposed different way. The Bible teaches that there is a creator and that the creator has made a given order and he is infused, listen, and the creator God has infused everything from quarks to galaxies with every every scintilla of existence is infused with meaning creation oozes meaning so trees and mountains and stars and oceans do in fact as we intuitively know express meaning they are pointing to something beyond ourselves. And that is good news. The feeling that I get, this is one of those rightly ordered affections of seeing the beauty of nature and then having this uh, irresistible need to express gratitude to somebody for how beautiful it is. There's a reason for that. Because there is meaning in this world. The life of meaning and fulfillment does not come from looking deep within and then rummaging around in my desires or my own feelings in order to find my true self. Rather, it comes, listen, by accepting God's true purpose for my existence and then aligning myself, aligning myself with that true purpose. And the deepest meaning about me and the deepest meaning about you is that we are created in the image of God. And thus we don't ultimately belong to ourselves, but to God. Do you remember that time when Jesus was in the temple and they were like, you know, all of the royal smart people were trying to come and trip him up and test him with, with really tough questions. And, uh, and one, one crowd comes up and says to him, hey, Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus said, show me a coin. So they whipped out a denarius, and he looks at it, and he says, whose image is that on that coin? And they said, Caesar's. And then this is what Jesus said. Remember, whose image is that on the coin? Caesars, then Jesus said, then render to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. Whose image is stamped on you? God's. Then render unto God what belongs, belongs to God. The deepest meaning about me is that I belong to God, and belonging to God by being his creation, and because he has redeemed me through the cross, through, through the blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, that takes me beyond myself. Here's the thing about looking deep within to find your reality. You're stuck with yourself. You're stuck with that. That's as big as your universe is going to be, and it's puny, trivial but realizing that i belong made in the image redeemed by creator god that transcends my tiny little existence and pulls me into something bigger it becomes more, and the, and as i live into that as it becomes more and more true it makes me it makes you when we live into this truth truth and reality a what a partaker this is second peter chapter 1 verse 4 makes us partakers of the divine nature Now, the counterintuitive thing, the surprising thing about belonging to God and not belonging to me is that once I realize that and I live into that, here's the surprising thing, and I've experienced this. We find personal joy, we find meaning, and we find fulfillment in a way that was unavailable to us when we were engaged in the futile project of creating creating and expressing our own identity. Now that sounds very nice and philosophical and whatever, but let me tell you how I've seen it lived out. My German Shepherd, that's right, we now have a dog illustration. My German Shepherd, Jaeger, is more than he could be if he were left to create his own identity. If he was left to himself to create his own identity. Because Jaeger does not belong to Jaeger, but because I am his owner, he has transcended his canine instincts. He has a freedom to live, listen, beyond the autonomy, uh, the limits that his autonomy would bring him. He can be more than merely what he would be if he looked deep inside his doggy little heart. That's why Jaeger knows dozens, maybe hundreds of English words. Not only that, he can spell... That's right, because we've had to resort to spelling T-R-E-A-T and B-A-L-L so that he does not have a conniption fit when he hears the word treat or ball. He has figured out what those, those letters mean. And so we're spe- it's time to get him a T-R-E-A-T, and he, he goes into flights of ecstasy. He has a sense of humor. He is the court jester of our household. You can leave small children with him, and he will not eat them. (laughs) Now, you can say, oh, Ben, you're just anthropomorphizing your dog. And I would say, that's exactly right. You see, somehow, this is the point. Because he belongs to me, he has become a partaker of the human nature. (laughs) Wow because I belong to God, by giving myself to that, he enables me to become a partaker of the divine nature. Praise God. Wow! So that doesn't, it's, it's, I thought it was going to be horrible that I didn't belong to myself, but now I found out I can learn to spell like Jaeger. <laughs> but there are alarming implications about this truth. And here is one that presents itself clearly in the text. Paul clearly tells believers in the church in Corinth that their bodies, their bodies are not their personal property. My body does not belong to me. In fact, my body is not even for me. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6.13, if you're reading the text there, 1 Corinthians 6.13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. The body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Did you hear that? The body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So my body, I know I'm being redundant because we just don't believe this. We need to hear it over and over again. My body is not my property. Rather, listen, that means I am a trustee. I'm a steward of my body, which ultimately belongs to someone else. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Jesus Christ purchased us. He bought us at the price of his own blood on Calvary's tree, pouring his life out for us. My life he purchased with his life. And this is the song that is sung before Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God in glory in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Worthy are you, Lamb of God. To take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now, listen. You think, oh, okay, well, this applies to Christians, but nobody else, right? I mean, we're the ones washing the blood, right? No, because that's not only people. Because Jesus Christ is the propitiation for the whole world. Because he is the atoning sacrifice. Because he is the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist says in John, John's gospel. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is not just true of people who have received Christ. It is cosmically and universally true for all people, including those who reject the benefits of Christ's sacrifice. Even for people who don't believe this, it's still true about them. But as a believer, this is what it means for me, for for one who wants to live into Christ. It means this, my body is not my own palette. My body is not my own personal venue for the expression of my inmost desires and urges and feelings or self-generated sense of identity. So what I do with my body, here's the deal, and this is true for all of us, what I do with my body as a follower of Jesus should reflect the intentions of my body's owner. And that intention is that I glorify God in my body. Not only, now here's, here's the next thing we need to be aware of that is implied by this. Not only do I not, not only does my body not belong to me, but other people's bodies don't belong to me either. The body of the disabled person belongs to the Lord. The body of the aging person in a care facility belongs to the Lord. And our bureaucrats need to remember that even in the time of COVID. The unborn life. The body that is forming in a mother's womb does not belong to the mother or the father, but to the Lord. Now listen, if you and I hold our bodies, my body, in trust as a steward for another, how much more so would the human body that is being knit together in its mother's womb? That is a sacred stewardship of something that belongs to God. And here is where things become extremely tender, all right, and where we need to take the greatest care in how we apply this biblical truth on this Sunday when many Christians are affirming the sanctity of human life. We need to be honest and recognize that Paul's words here that we've read this morning directly contradict our current public morality, and the spirit of the age in which we live. Let me read those words again. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now, folks, we can kind of say that glibly in here, but you and i need to realize that these words and the implications of these words don't just sound unrealistic they sound genuinely evil to almost everyone who has power and influence in the key institutions of our society like education the media politics the medical and legal professions etc and more and more that that truth sounds Evil, not just to those who influence, but to our neighbors next door as well. And yes, maybe even to some of us sitting in this church this morning or people who will listen to this online. The biblical truth, the biblical truth that we don't belong to ourselves, that we are gods, that our bodies belong to God, it is essential to proclaiming the gospel. And that essential cr- truth That And how is that an essential truth to proclaiming the gospel? Because it comes right down to this. Jesus paid for my life on Calvary's tree. That's the gospel. His blood has set me free from sin and death. He has purchased my redemption. He has redeemed me from sin, death, and hell. That's the gospel. But that truth is heard and condemned as being intrinsically that I belong to God, my body's not my own, that is hate speech in this culture. That is considered violent speech in a world that is in rebellion against our creator God. Here is the application for this Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Since every human life is created in the image of God and because every human body ultimately belongs to God and is for God, here it is, Christians have always believed that it is a grave evil to intentionally take the life of an unborn child through abortion. Michael J. Gorman, in his book, Abortion and the Early Church, shows, and I'm actually quoting another commentator here, shows that the early church believed three things about abortion. Number one, the fetus is the creation of God. Number two, abortion is murder, and number three, the judgment of God falls on those guilty of abortion. Now, before I go any further, you need to know that it is highly improbable that there isn't someone sitting in our church or listening to this online who has not either had an abortion or abortions themselves, their self, or has helped someone procure an abortion. And that being the case, I want to encourage you with this truth His mercy is more. His mercy is more. We have a great Savior whose amazing grace covers, even yes, it is a sin, it covers this sin. Jesus loves you. There are people who are in this church who can testify of the forgiveness and healing that they have received from our loving God when they brought the pain of the sin of that abortion to him. They have experienced St. Paul's words. Remember those words when he gives us the list, you know, do not be deceived, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And he starts a list. It's not exhaustive, but it's a list. And at the end of that list, this is what Paul says to church people. Ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. And but, listen, so were some of you. And then the, I love this. This word is so wonderful and is so important. So were some of you, but... You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God, and it's washed away. You were washed, sanctified, and justified, made right with God and with everyone else. So knowing that you and I have forgiveness through Christ and because we have confidence in his grace, with that truth, that truth, secure in our hearts, that does enable us now to declare what the church has always taught about abortion. From the apostles through the early church, the Didache, one of the oldest Christian documents outside of the New Testament, dated somewhere between 80 and 140 AD, this is what the Didache says. You shall not murder a child by abortion. Christians have always believed this. Tertullian, another early Christian writer, Around the the third century says, for us, this is Tertullian, for us, we we may not destroy even the fetus in the womb, while as yet the human being derives blood from other parts of the body for its sustenance. To hinder a birth is just a speedier man-killing. Nor does it matter when you take away a life that is born or destroy one that is coming to birth. That is a man which is going to be one. You have the fruit already in the seed. The Apostolic Constitutions, penned somewhat, sometime in the 4th century, says, You shall not slay the child by causing abortion. You shall not slay the child by causing abortion, nor kill that which has, which has begotten. For everything that is shaped and have received a soul from God, if it be slain shall be avenged as being unjustly destroyed." It is, um, this is, (laughs) this is the unequivocal Christian position throughout all of Christian history. And to deviate from this is to deviate from the truth of the scriptures. Now I want to be very careful in how I say what I'm about to say and I want you to be very careful in how you hear what I'm about to hear because everything we've talked about this morning just pokes the tenderest parts of our psyche. It's like poke, poke, poke and wh- and what can happen when you get poked is you get mad. I know it's cause I'm, sometimes I poke teenagers and they just get mad, I poke them on the shoulder. So let's be careful, I'll try to be careful how I say it, and you try to be careful how you hear it. A while back, some years ago, someone heard me address from the pulpit the historic Christian position, the biblical position that abortion is the unjust taking of a human life, and that a nation that justifies abortion is inviting the wrathful judgment of God. They were shocked. No, they were furious. Didn't I realize that I probably hurt somebody's feelings in church, that I offended someone who had procured an abortion in the past? Didn't I understand that? There are people here who've been through that and you hurt their feelings? Well, here's the problem with that reaction. Please listen. This person was more concerned that someone's feelings were hurt than the fact that someone was killed. That is sentimentality. In other words, our feelings for this person was of a graver concern than the objective evil of the murder of the unborn. This is not just a kind of moral confusion. To become enraged about hurting someone's feelings while blithely passing over the destruction of a human life reveals a, reveals a profoundly deformed moral imagination—a deformed moral imagination. And the the response to that is not "I'm so sorry." The response to that is repent. That's the response. It demonstrates the lack of an informed Christian conscience, and it verifies the words of Flannery O'Connor, who said, in the absence of faith, we govern by tenderness, and tenderness leads to the gas chamber. Beloved, we have to be able to speak the truth and love on this issue Yes, we declare a truth that can cut us to the heart, but please hear me, please, church, and tell everyone that that you talk to about this, we also proclaim grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. Greater than all my sin. Truth and grace. Who could be full of truth and grace at the same time? I think I heard that Jesus was full of truth and grace. Beloved, we have to have courage in this moment, right now in 2021, to say what the scriptures and the church have always taught. We do not belong to ourselves. Publicly confessing this truth and all of its preceding implications will cost you and me right now. This confession will cost us friends. This confession will cost us family members. It will cost us public respect. It will cost us and is costing us access to the marketplace access to education, access to the means of employment. This is one of the reasons that courage is Christ church's theme for 2021. We cannot shrink back in fear. We must not remain silent. We must not remain silent about God's truth. We must not remain silent about God's grace glorify god in your body in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen